0: I am seeking, searching for the things this world has rejected. The things that are broken, that are flawed, thrown away and discarded. I seek the lost, the damaged, the forgotten things, the overlooked and the neglected, Things that have been pushed aside and left behind. Why? Why do I do this? Why chase after that which is despised by so many? It is because I have chosen the rejected. I bring restoration to the broken. I see beyond the flaws and the imperfections, and I bring new life to the lost. This world has called them useless and garbage, hopeless and unwanted. They have been scarred, abused, ignored, and unloved. But I, I have reclaimed them, and they belong to me now. They are my masterpiece, and I have a plan and a future for every single one, for I am crafting these dissonant and discarded pieces into something beautiful.
1: And Christ being the center of that community, just in case you're catching up with us, we're not talking about a physical building as much as we're talking about God putting together a group of people to accomplish a specific purpose. And we are a part of that group of people. We are a part of what God is doing. And last week we talked about how when God is building it, one of the characteristics, one of the traits of that building is that it is growing and so you see that his, his people come together, more people connect with who God is, and, and we grow spiritually. We also grow numerically. These aren't things we are trying to do or, or have to do in our own strength. These are things that God does. These are just things that are characteristic of when God is, when God is building it, when God is putting it together. Anything that, any healthy life form that God has made, uh, it grows, and it, and it has certain things. But one element... That is unique uh, to God and, and to uh, and to and to know that it is actually a work of God is what we 're going to talk about today, and that 's that it will be an eternal community and and that means it lasts forever it means what the people that God brings together will always be together and I think we missed this aspect of it. I saw this uh, this advertisement uh, for uh, this pill uh, that is possibly the key scientists say to giving us eternal life. So good news for the world. Jesus is no longer necessary. Uh, they can have eternal life through a prescription. Uh, but uh, that's kind of the way they build it. So it's like, wow, that's reaching a little bit. But what they meant by that was they meant that you take this pill and it could give add decades to your life. But this is what I think we don't get about eternity. Uh, we, we start to think in terms of, wow, oh, yeah, eternity, that, that's a very long, long, long time. And we use that word at the end, time. And time and eternity don't mix. They are, not, they are, they are mutually exclusive. They, they don't belong in the same compartment, meaning that if, you, if you're talking about time, then you're not talking about eternity because eternity means that there is no time. And, and, and we live in time. So it's so hard to, we think in terms of days and weeks and months, every Sunday morning you come in here, you are very uh, aware that uh, what time it is. We start at this time, or we're supposed to start at a certain time. And then we end at this, we're supposed to end at a certain time. And, and so we, we have times. And then and throughout your day, and then it'll be nighttime, and then you wake up tomorrow morning. We live in time. So we talk about when the world is thinking about eternal or long, they, they, they can't comprehend or think outside that box. And so they think, oh, if I could have 20, 40, 50, 60, 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 500 years, 1,000 years. What if you could live to be 1,000 years old? Well, see, that, that misses the whole point. The whole point in the world's thinking is that there's an end. And in God's thinking, there is no end. There is no end. And why that's important to us is because it helps us to understand why we do what we do. Because there's no point. There's no point in people, in Mother Teresa's life where she goes to India and she lives in Calcutta and she serves the dying her entire lifetime. Serving, why would you do that if this is all there was? This, she did that because that was her act of service here on this earth, knowing that she'd be rewarded for all eternity and that she has all of her eternity. Why not give this life to serve people because I have all this waiting for me? You know, I mean, it only makes sense, right? If you, if you were blessed with billions and billions and trillions, quadrillions of dollars, and you just had more money than you could ever think of, or, or think you, could, you had enough money to bail the nation out of debt and not even think about it, if you had that kind of money... And somebody came along and said, hey, can you spare a dime? And he said, no, nah, I don't think so. Then you're one of those unkind human beings on the planet. We all know that, right? I mean, so But, but, it's only, but of course you would say, here's, a do- here's $10, here's $100, here's $500. Because you don't care, right? Because you got plenty. Well, that's what living here is supposed to be for the believer. We give the years that we have. We give the time that we have. We give the lives that we have because we have plenty of life. We have more life than we'll uh, more life than anybody could ever imagine. We have life without end, life without end. That means that not only let's not even put it in. You have quadrillions of dollars. Let's say you have an endless supply, meaning you could just give and give and give, and it doesn't affect the total amount that you have because it just it just never ending. Well, if you have that type of understanding about life, that type of understanding about the community that we have, then then it changes how we operate. It changes how we operate. Now we, we still have the battle that we face is we face an enemy who's constantly telling us it's not true. That it is going to run out that you only have this much that you that you that if you give this up then you 're not going to have anything and so so we are battling this internal struggle of of do I have something, do I not have something and and uh, and so we in the midst of that battle, we have to face the reality that um, we're not as good as we want to be, that we're not the people we desire to be. So today I want us to look at what it means to be an eternal community in this passage of Scripture in in Revelation 21 and and try to help us get to a point of of realizing some things, some attributes of what an eternal community looks like, things that need to be a part of our lives. And when we make them a part of our lives and people begin to believe more fully that what we're talking about is true. Revelation chapter 21 If there was an end to the Bible, this book would be the end of it. It is by far one of the most misunderstood, I think, books of the Bible. And it is, uh, as I've corrected so many people over the years, not revelations, but the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is him telling us, this is, he tells the Apostle John, John who's Apostle of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, they were, what was happening is... They were living like an eternal community. They were giving up their lives. They were all being martyred for Christ. The, the, the Christians are being sacrificed to the lions and and uh, and being murdered by the Roman Empire. Jews are hunting them down systematically and having them arrested and killed. It is a dark time for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. So God takes John aside, John, the only one of the apostles who remains, who's been put into exile on the Isle of Patmos, and he pulls him aside and he says, I need to show you something. And I need you to tell people what I show you to give people hope, to give people hope that there is more than this, that this is not a lost cause. that This is not all for nothing, that that everything you're believing in, everything you're living for is true now. Obviously, John already is sold on this. He's already living for Christ. He has seen the resurrected Lord. He has not only walked with Jesus, he not only witnessed him being crucified, he knew him in his resurrected form. And that has propelled him forward, but this is something that Jesus brings to say, look, I want you to have a greater understanding of where all this is going. And In Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, he says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Pray with me. Father, I pray this morning that you just give us a vision for who you are. Why we're here and and what, Lord, how you would have us to live. Lord, that we would live life together, but we would live life together as though we are people who are going to live forever. And, Father, help us to have a clear insight how that works in our world today. If we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it starts with this simple concept, and that is that we are to live with God. Living with God. You know, when I go out to the ocean, I love... Kim loves the ocean, I love the mountains, but really I, I like both. Uh, and she likes both. But uh, one of the things I like about the ocean is when you're walking along the beach of the ocean, if you never had the opportunity to go, and anybody we've ever had, uh, any foster children we ever had that said we'd never been to the ocean, that was just one of the things we felt like we had to do is take them to see the ocean. Um, and so if you've never been, make a point. We don't live that far away from the ocean in relative terms. You can make that trip. I'm confident of that. But the reason why the ocean is such a, a cool place is it's... I, I, now I And I don't want to make you think i'm encouraging you to worship the ocean or to think of god in some type of created form but when we see the vastness of his creation when we see something that has power that we don't understand it gives us a little bit of understanding that god is far beyond us if the things he can make are far beyond us obviously he the one who made them is way 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 far beyond us and one of the things it reminds me of is you see the currents coming in over and over again is we don't make that happen. We don't have to make the currents. They just, they just happen over and over again. You know, and if you ever get a chance to sleep in a place close to the ocean, you have your window open, you'll notice this. It never shuts off. It goes all night long. It doesn't freeze over in the wintertime. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't do anything uh, different, it just, and it does the same thing. What's really cool about it is that you can get a little sheet of paper and it tells you this is when the tides come in and this is when the tides go out, and they do it exactly then every single time because God made it that way. God ordained it that way, and it's, and it's such a, a, a nice place. If you can find a secluded place, is a nice place to talk with God, and I always think about that. I always think about how... It would be to simply exist with the presence of God. And it takes me to the Garden of Eden. And we don't have too many Garden of Eden places on the planet. (laughs) In fact, we have none. Uh, but, But the Garden of Eden was a place where men a man and a woman simply lived life with God. That's all they did. They just existed with God. We were all meant to. But because of their mistake... Uh, and passing it on from generation to generation, because of our mistakes, we all lose out on this thing of just living life with just God. And It doesn't mean that we wouldn't have cars. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't fly in airplanes. It doesn't mean any of those things. We don't know what life would look like if it was untainted by sin. But we do know this. We don't have it now. We do not live in the Garden of Eden now. But it is what God desires for us. And part of understanding that we are an eternal community is understanding we don't walk unhindered with God now. But we will walk unhindered with him for all eternity. For all eternity. And what we're doing right now, what we're trying to do right now is learn how to live with him. You know, the, the Bible tells us that there's going to be this marriage supper of the Lamb, meaning there's going to be a wedding that we are we are the bride of Christ we are betrothed to him and it gives us this language to give us kind of this understanding uh, that when there was an engagement remember Mary engaged to Joseph and how they were betrothed and how when he found out she was pregnant he was going to put her away quietly divorce her basically because engagements meant were solid I meaning you didn't just back out of an engagement it was it was you were just a pre-marriage and and that's kind of where the church is right now in our relationship with Christ. We're in that kind of pre marriage phase. And, and one of the cool things about that is this we are getting to know him. We are getting now he knows us, he has the advantage, but we are getting to know the groom, the bridegroom who is Christ, and what it will be like to live with him. That's that's why we study his word. You know, I, I wish we would think of it like that, and, and we can. We when we go to Sunday school or Bible study, when you come to here to worship and to sing to him and to to hear his word, that you're not listening to try to figure out, okay, how do I what do I do this week to be a better person? That you think, no, no, I want to know more about this person, Jesus, who I'm gonna live with forever and what makes him happy. Because I'm gonna want to please him forever. And so we're gonna to live together, we're gonna to walk together, we're gonna to eat together, you know what what are the things that are pleasing him? What are the things, you know, because he is my Lord, I want to worship him, I want to serve him, I want to be loyal to him. And so we we're just learning how how to live with God. How to live with God. And when we have that perspective, and when people say, Why do you do what we do? is because I I love God and I'm I'm trying to. Discern how to make him most happy. That's why, that's why we don't understand grace so much. We don't understand that the grace of God is what saves us and gives us the opportunity to be with him forever. So we're, we keep thinking in terms of, oh, I've, I've got to do this, 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 and this in order to get into heaven. No, heaven is given to us. We have that. The moment we said we love him and we want to follow him, we want to be with him forever, he says, absolutely, it's free. I paid the price. I'm, you could never do what is necessary to get yourself into heaven, so I got you there. Now you're there. Now you've got it. Your tickets are bought. Your reservations are made. You're going to be there. What's it going to be like? How do we prepare for that? How do we get ready for that? How do we let other people know how awesome it is? How do we entice people to be a part of this? How do we understand what it's like to live with God? Well, first of all, we just have to believe that we are going to live with God. This is what he says. He says, I heard with a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. I get that. That means that for all eternity, God lives with us. It's like. Being separated forever, you know. I had a professor, and he was talking about how he had adopted two boys from Russia, and and uh, they went over and they met the children, and they, they saw them in the orphanage, and and uh, and they and they met them. They were just toddlers, of course, and the, and they and they were like in this horrible conditions, and all the squalor. But they had it was a year long process. So even after they saw their children, that were going to be their children they um, they couldn't take him home right then. So they fly back to the United States and they go to their home and they have a beautiful home and they have this room just for these boys and it's all decorated and it's all nice and it's all just perfect. Just wonderful, beautiful room, but it's empty. And he said, for the first time I could understand just a little teensy bit about how God looks at me. That he doesn't look at me as... You know, are you, what are you, are you doing everything right? Are you doing everything that you're supposed to be doing? You know, with with this hard line, he's looking at me saying, I just want you to be here. I just want you to be here. I want to get you out of there and into here. That's what I'm after. And I, I just want you to want to be here. And so all the things he's saying to us are trying to help us understand we don't belong here. We don't belong here. We belong with him. We belong with him and and he's created a place for us, prepared a place for us. And now and now we are he's trying to move us in the direction of of getting us to be there for all eternity. us to be there for all eternity. And and preparing us for holy living is just simply preparing us to live with God. He's. You know, if, if we aren't learning how to live holy lives, if we're not learning how to, to be obedient to him, we're not really preparing ourselves to what it's going to be like to walk with God for the rest of our lives. And so here's what I the first thing we want to do is we just want to welcome God's presence into every aspect of our lives. We just want to we want to say, OK, I'm going to live with God for all eternity. So God should be in this part of my life. Why would you want parts of your life to exclude God when he's going to permeate every part of your existence forever? If you want to really know whether that's what you really want, then invite him now so you can get a feel for that. So you can understand that. You know, really, and we don't like to say it like this, but you really, everybody is just trying God out. Everybody's trying out. You're test, test driving God. You're, you're checking out to see whether you really would like to be with him forever. And guess what? Some people don't. Some people don't. In fact, the majority of the world doesn't want to be with Him forever. The majority of the world doesn't want God in their life. They don't want to walk with God forever. We get it in our heads that that heaven, that, that there's this race to heaven and that there's a group of people out there who really want to be with Jesus but just can't cut it. They just can't make the grade. They can't read their Bible enough. They can't go to church enough. They can't stop sinning enough in order to get there. And, and we're, we get in our heads that that is what Christianity is about. There's a race, and some of us are making it, and some of us are not making it. But here's the truth. Some don't want to be with him for all eternity. And some do. And those who want him, those who seek him. I mean, think about it for a second. Who were the people that found Jesus? They weren't religious people. They were godless people. They were prostitutes and tax collectors. He was considered a friend of sinners. And what was his explanation for that? They know they need a savior. They know they need to be set free. And so those are the people he hung with, and those are the people he gave hope to. He says, look, I love you, and, I, and if you want to be set free from all this world and live with me forever, I can make that possible. You can live with me. And here's the truth. Everyone who wants to live with God can live with God. That's, that's the gospel. Everyone who wants to live with God can live with God. And so we have his word, and he says, but let me, let me tell you what it will be like to live with God. He is holy and we will be holy also. So if you don't have a desire to be holy or to live a holy life or to worship him or to live in a worship setting, then you don't want to be there. And he won't force you to be there. He won't make you do something. One thing he doesn't do, and God never promises, he doesn't promise just to say, I'm going to give you everything you want apart from me. He doesn't do that. Well, he does give you what you are asking for. But it, apart from him, it's death. There is no life apart from Christ. There is no life apart from God. There is no purpose other than him. And so that's why, that's why Jesus wept when people would seek their gods in other places. Because those gods are simply false and can't sustain life. So, we are going to live with God for all eternity. And next, we want to know that we are living as God's people. We're living as God's people you know, Jesus told a parable how uh, there was a man who went out and sowed a wheat field, and then enemies came along and sowed tares in the midst of the wheat. And they were like, how do we, do we need to get the tares out of the midst of the wheat? And he's like, no, no, leave it alone, because you'll wind up destroying the wheat, trying to get rid of the tares. Just let it grow, and when it grows to bear fruit, you'll see what the difference is. And we live in a world where we're mixed all together. We don't know who is who <laughs> until we... Grow to be who God desires us to be. The evidence that we have asked Jesus into our life, the evidence that we are followers of Jesus, the evidence that I am a committed want to be in heaven for all eternity, walk with Jesus forever person, is that I bear the fruit of that. Because once I ask God to say, can I be in your heaven forever? Can I live with you forever? He says, yes, but I have to change you. I have to make you new. I have to make you a new creation. You have to be born again. You can't live in my heaven the way you are. And we say, well, then make me new. I want to be born again. And then he changes us. And then the evidence that he changes us is that we bear the fruit of that change. It's not rocket science. It's not. It's not a creed that you recite. It's not uh, you know a thousand tests that you take to see how you pass. You know, it's just simply either you have the fruit that God has changed your life or you don't. And if you don't bear the fruit and you say I want to bear the fruit, then go back to Him and say Jesus, I something's wrong with me. I'm not bearing the fruit. And then repent and say now I want to be changed. Because what He will show is you say you want to change, and I deal with this all the time. People say they want to change all. the the time, but they really don't want to change. Because you go and say, "Okay, you want to change? Okay, this needs to change." And like, whoa, not that! I don't want to change that. I like that. And he said, well, "That that won't make it into heaven. You can't be that and still be with me. I have to change that. I have to make that new. And so make let him make it new. And then you, once he changes that, once he makes you new, then you will bear the fruit." Of a follower of Jesus Christ. Look what he says. In the last part of verse 3, he says, They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God himself will be with them and be their God. We don't live eternity alone, we live eternity with God. With God. As followers of God. But here's, here's what we need to be thinking about. We need to think am I, am I a person who lives with God? Am I a person who follows Christ? Follows Jesus. That's our God is revealed to us through the person of Jesus Christ. How I know I'm a follower of God is I follow Jesus as He's revealed to me in the Word. And so here's what you need, you and I need to do. We need to identify ourselves. Not as tares, not as people who are not secretly not wanting to follow Jesus, but as followers of Jesus. If you, Paul tells us, if you you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then just act like a follower of Jesus Christ. Just live it out. This is what followers of Jesus do? Then do those things. And if you find yourself incapable of doing those things, then go to God and ask him to empower you through his Holy Spirit. When I was eight years old, I gave my heart to Jesus. When I was 18 years old, I thought I was lost because I was not doing things that followers of Jesus did. And I was like, I, I can't be a Christian. I, I couldn't be a Christian and do these things and think these things and so forth. And, and so this, I followed my own advice and listened to what the word said. And I said, God, if I'm not saved, save me. God, if I'm not following you, I want to follow you. God, if there's something I need to repent of, I repent again. If I didn't repent fully when I was eight years old, I repent now. And what I realized was is that this is a lifestyle thing. This is a God comes into my life. And yes, he did. I did discover he, later on back in my early 20s. I went back and realized oh, I was saved when I was eight because I can see the hand of God at work in my life all along. But when I was 18, I was Going away from him, but it was because I was his that he stopped me from running away from him and said, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't go that direction. You belong to me. And if you are a follower of me, then you need to change your way and move this way. And I did. And that is a lifestyle of constantly Going the wrong direction, God pulled me back to him. Going in the wrong direction, God pulling me back to him. But if I look over the course of my life, I can see I may have started way down here. But because of God's grace, with all the ups and downs, I'm still closer to God than when I started. Because he is doing the work. He is making me more like himself. And so I identify as a follower of Jesus as a follower of Jesus. And so I look at my life daily, look at my life and say, okay, how do I live like you today? How do I walk as you want me to? How do I, as a follower of Jesus, how is, am I supposed to live my life today? And then finally, part of being in this eternal community is we live the good life. I, I love this book. This is living the good life, your guide to health and success over 200,000 in print, David Patchell Evans. He was a, uh, a guy who, um, Actually got injured and then uh, had rheumatoid arthritis and they told him to stop exercising. But he exercised anyway because he found relief from it. And then we go to him, the next book he came out with, same book, now over 925,000 in print. And he keeps, people keep buying the book. And next one is, see so he's getting a little bit older there, but over 1,150,000 in print. And then finally you got this one, uh, he's getting up there, uh, over 2,000,000 in print. So people are buying this book even though he continues to age uh, Because we want to live the good life. We want to live the good life. And we are supposed to live the good life. We are supposed to live the good life. But the good life is not found, even though we need to stay physically fit, even though we need to eat right and so forth, and even though we want to be financially stable and all these different things, be good stewards, I guess is a better way to put that. Even though all these things are true, These bodies will still grow old, they will grow feeble, and they will die. This body will go away. The real good life is the fact that God says, when this body's gone, he's going to give me another one. Another one, another body that will live forever. Look what he says it's going to be like in heaven. In verse 4, he says, "...he will wipe away every tear from their eyes." Now, I don't think that necessarily means he's going to take the tear ducts out. I've heard people say there will never be crying in heaven. This expression, he will wipe away the tear, means he removes all the sorrow that you've ever experienced. All the things that caused you grief, all the things that caused mourning, all the things that have brought you pain are gone. He says death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer. And again, that crying is that because people, we shed tears of joy, we get I don't think there's something sinful about getting dust in your eyes and water coming out of your tear ducts. He's talking about when we cry out in grief, when we cry out in mourning, these things are removed. Pain is removed. Death is removed. Removed. We weren't meant every time you go through that experience of, of death and, and the pain that it feels and mourning. And we, we struggle with it. And how am I supposed to feel? How am I, what am I supposed to do? And how am I supposed to relate to all this? Some of the most painful things ever experienced is in the loss of life. And we were not meant to go through it, but we do go through it. But not forever. Once we, this is where eternity really takes on our tone. Because if I live 300, 400, 500 years, we might say, yeah, after that long, I think I'd be ready just to end, be done, be over. But that's not what God intended. You see, I may be ready to go. But one of the things, who hurts the most at a funeral? It's not the person in the casket, it's the people who are left behind. It's the people who were in a relationship with that person and who now feel lost outside that relationship. Well, this is what we miss about eternal life. God desires to have a relationship with us. He wants us to be with him forever. And so he makes it so that we can be with him forever and enjoy his presence forever and, and, and live life with him together and, and with each other. And part of us understanding how to be an eternal community is, and the reason he gives us these guidelines and directions in church ministry and church life, the reason why we go to Sunday school and learn the things we do and talk about loving each other. Remember, Jesus said, let me, okay, you've read the Old Testament. You're all confused. Let me sum it all up for you. You need to love each other like I love you. That's it. That's just remember that. Really, he just had one commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. That's it. That's all Jesus told his disciples. You said really, that's it? Yeah, that's it. That's all you, that's it. Don't try to make it more confusing. All the Ten Commandments, all the other laws, the 600 and whatever laws of the Old Testament, everything, all those laws say one thing. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as yourself. Well, And God says this, this is how, Jesus clarified it. He said, this is how you love me. By doing the second part. Loving each other. Loving each other. You can't love me and hate these people. Because what makes heaven amazing and what makes it the good life is because we all get along and work in perfect harmony. When the Trinity has existed forever, and and can you imagine in the Trinity as The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are talking about each of their roles and and Jesus is the one being sent. And they're like, Jesus is like, I don't want to go down there. I'm not giving my life. Why should I have to go? Why do I have to be the one to suffer on a tree? Why do I have to be the one to go through all that pain? Let's draw straws. Let's draw straws. And they draw straws. And Jesus gets the short straw. He's like, I hate this. You know, I never get to do what I want to do and so forth. That's not how the Trinity works. The Holy Spirit thinking, well, you think you get the shaft. Nobody even talks about me. Nobody knows who my. Nobody knows my name. That's not how the Trinity exists. The Trinity coexists in perfect harmony. Each person doing what they do because of their love for each other and knowing their role and fulfilling those roles perfectly. And that's how we're supposed to exist. Now he says, "Now I'm going to teach you how to be that." And he said, I, "Well, this is pretty difficult." And he says, "Well, I'm going to put my Spirit in you." And so if you'll follow the leading of my spirit, then you will relate to each other as we relate. And this is the word he uses. He says, submit to each other. Submit to each other. The members of the Trinity submit to each other. He says, now I want you to submit to each other because you're going to be submitting to us and we're all going to live in harmony together for all eternity. And that's it. Anthony Evans says it's like a preview of coming attractions. That's what the church is. The church is when people come in and say, this is what heaven's going to look like. (laughs) Okay, all right. Think about it. I want you to think for a second. So when people, we invite people to come to a business meeting at church, and this is what we should say. We want you to come to a business meeting because we want you to see how business is going to be conducted in heaven for all eternity. Right? Isn't that the selling point? It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. Our time together here, the way we relate to each other, our small groups when we get together is supposed to be a taste of heaven. A taste of heaven where people see each where people see other people loving each other unconditionally. Here's what we want to do. We want to live life with God's people like we're practicing for heaven. Live life with God's people like we're practicing for heaven. And this is what you think when somebody does something, you think, "Okay, in heaven, would I be mad about this? Would I be upset over this? Would I be upset that my wife did not refill the, uh, the ice trays? Will I be upset over that in heaven? Will I get really out of shape out of that? I don't think so. The fact that the toilet seat is up instead of down, will I get bent out of shape over that in heaven? Now you're thinking, are there toilet seats in heaven? Did we figure out a better way? But the key is this. In heaven we will love each other. We will love each other. You say, well, there won't be anything to forgive in heaven. But we will all be forgiven. We will all be forgiven. And God's, one of the attributes of God is that he is a forgiving God. And if we're going to be in his presence for all eternity, we have to be forgiving people. Because that's how we all fit together. Forgiving people fit together. For all eternity. And so that's what we need to practice. Loving each other. Loving each other. Now, ask yourself this question. Is there a part of your life where God is not welcome? Is there something you've got inside where you're saying to yourself, God is not welcome here. This is mine. I do this. I don't want to change this. This is who I. This is something I want. When we use the term "Lord" and say "God," I want you to be Lord of my life. When we say that, you are saying I do not want my life to be my own. I want you to be the Lord of my life. He's, Jesus said it this way: He who loves his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it, and find it eternally. And so, this is what this moment is about. It's about saying. Have I gotten to one of those places where I'm, I'm not going forward with God because he wants this from me and I'm not willing to give it? And Just ask yourself, so what are you going to do for all eternity? What are you going to do for all? Would you, would you say, I don't want to be with Jesus for all eternity because I want to hang on to this for the next five, six years? And you may not even have that. I mean, think about it. Is there any other thing that's worthy of being God of your life that's worth worshiping? Is there any other thing in your life that can give you eternal life? Is there anything in your life that can resurrect you? Is there anything in your life that loves you unconditionally? Is there anything in your life that is worth giving yourself to more than Jesus? No. So are you a follower of Jesus or are you not? And the proof is in the fruit. Proof is in the fact that he's changed you and he's made you new. And you want him to make you new. You want to be this new person. You want to be prepared and fashioned for heaven. You want to be changed. You want to be renewed. You want your mind to be changed to where you think the things of God. And these are the things you desire. You either want it or you don't want it. But be realistic. If you don't want it, he won't make you do it. And if you do want it. There's nothing in this world that can keep you from it. Pray with me. Father in heaven, God, we thank you so much for how great and amazing and awesome you are. And Lord, thank you that you do promise us this, that there is nothing, no power in this world, no principality, no force of darkness. There's nothing in heaven or beneath the earth, Lord, that can keep us from your love if that's what we want. But, Lord, help us to search our hearts this morning and ask ourselves, is this what we want? Do we want the love of God to transform us, to make us new, to change us into loving, forgiving people? Do we want to have the fruit of the Spirit to be manifested in our life? Do we want to be servants of the Most High God for all eternity? Lord, this isn't about just following a set of rules and routines and working our way into heaven. Lord, that can't be done. We have to be changed. We have to realize we, we need a savior. We need a Lord who can take over our lives and make us who we need to be and fashion us into a, a people who think eternally and not temporally. So Lord, today, may your Holy Spirit cut through and shine a light into our hearts and show us who we really are. And may we willingly offer ourselves to you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.